guys, it's your host, Avery Carl with The Short-Term Shop. I am super excited to dive into our 10-episode mini-series on the Cascade Mountains in Washington State market. Super cool market, really cool part of the country. Wanna give you guys a couple of notes first before we get started. If you guys are looking for up-to-date income numbers or data or purchase prices on properties in these markets, you can find them at theshorttermshop.com. You can set up a search to look for properties in any of the 20 markets that we operate in. You can also sign up to work with any of our short-term shop agents in any of those markets. So if you buy with us in any of those markets, we teach you everything you need to know about how to manage a short-term rental for free. And you can do that at theshorttermshop.com. Also, if you know you want to work with us already, you can email us at agents at the shorttermshop.com and we'll get you set up with one of our agents in one of our 20 markets. We will, we have also got a Facebook group, short-term rental, long-term wealth, same title as my book on Facebook. If you guys want to just join us, it's 60,000 of my closest friends talking about short-term rentals and managing them and buying them all day long. And I believe that's it. And we can go ahead and dive into the show. Make sure to give us a like, follow, five-star review, etc., on YouTube. Instagram, Facebook, all at The Short-Term Shop. I'll stop talking at you and let's dive in. Hey guys, welcome to another episode of The Short-Term Show special episode series on the Cascade Mountains in Washington State. Uh, We have, again, Principal Wolf. Say hello, Principal Wolf. Hello, Principal Wolf. Hi, (laughs) I'm Doug Wolf. I am the uh, short-term shop agent in Washington State. And guys, if you've been listening for a while and missed that joke, so Doug did used to be a high school principal. And once you know that, you realize that he sounds like a principal. Like he, <laughs> I, I hear it now. Once we, when we had John Bianchi on a few episodes back, I was like, oh my God, he is a principal. So that's you from now on as Principal Wolf. I'm a recovering principal. So um, <laughs> I'm trying to work that out of my voice and my inflection. <laughs> Okay. <laughs> uh, well, I, I don't. I don't know if I can help you with that, but I can yeah. help you be a real estate agent. So, <laughs> uh, next we have Jeff Suth. He is in the insurance business in this market, so he's going to go over some of the common things that we uh, see here and types of insurance coverage. But Jeff, you want to introduce yourself real quick? Tell us what firm you're with, all that fun stuff. Sure. My name is Jeff Suth. I'm an agent for Country Financial Insurance. Uh, also a real estate agent um, in this area and a uh, wannabe chicken STR investor. (laughs) Well, we can help you with that. We can get you through that. So everybody's scared at first. All right, guys. So today we're going to talk about common occurrences that you're going to run into being a homeowner in this market. So we're going to talk about some management stuff. We're going to talk about some maintenance stuff that will then translate over into insurance So without further ado, let's get started. So uh, let's see, common things that you might need a management plan for. Are there, let's start with pests. That's always fun. Are there any pests that are kind of specific to this market that we have to worry about or deal, not worry about, but deal with on a regular basis? Nothing that I can think of that it that would like ruin somebody's stay other than um, rodents and potentially mosquitoes. (laughs) Um, but those are, you know, I don't, there's no like plan to control mosquitoes. So that would just be, uh, making sure people are aware on your listing sort of thing. If you're in the woods and your, your property has a propensity towards mosquitoes, then you just want to make sure people know about that. And then, um, most of our properties are, um, 
you know, more wooded properties and that, that tend to have little creatures that like to sneak into them and make homes. So <laughs> um, having having a, a rodent control person um, would be a, a good management decision. <laughs> and pest control, like yes. bug pest control. We've got, so here in Florida, mosquitoes are such a problem that we have like an elected official to deal with them called the mosquito commissioner. Wow. And, uh, but we do have, I don't know if you guys have it there. There's something that, and I'm sure it's terrible for you and will give us all cancer, but they have something that they will like a chemical they'll come put in your yard to keep the mosquitoes away. I don't know if pest control places up there have that, but yeah, I wouldn't say they're that significant. Um, they're more of a nuisance than they are like overwhelming, you know, flock or a uh, flock, maybe uh, a flock. <laughs> yeah. a flock of mosquitoes. Yes. <laughs> all right. Okay, so so nothing too terrible in terms of, you know, just general outdoor stuff. There's bugs, there's rodents, keep an eye on that stuff. Yep. Um, okay, so is there anything that we need to talk about? Well, let's just talk about what happens, like, if a guest shows up to a dirty property. What do you do? Like, your, your cleaner forgot or there was a glitch in your automations. What do we do then? Yeah, you just apologize profusely and then... Uh... Get your cleaner out there as soon as possible to remedy the situation and to make sure the house is clean. I think I've had that happen once. Um, and my, you know, my cleaners were great. They jumped right on it and got out there. But um, I, I mean, that was like three years ago that happened and it doesn't seem to happen much more. I, th I think that was pre whatever software my cleaners use now to, to schedule. But if it were to happen, um, you know, apologize profusely, make a right with a guest and <laughs> Get your cleaner out there as soon as possible. That's about what I would recommend. Yeah, I think that's really about all you can do is <laughs> apologize profusely and get them out there ASAP. Yeah, and I um, I think I, I think I refunded the cleaning fee. I think maybe I can't remember. So let's talk about. Let's move on to something else kind of related, but guests getting there and. How do you manage? So I know, do you say there's some gas heat here or it's really only the gas really only powers the fireplaces? The, um, the majority of properties here are on electricity. Okay. So. All right. So you don't really have to worry about running out of propane as it relates to heating the house. But I was looking, I was talking about like getting at the firewood thing. So if you have a, uh, or how do we manage if you've got a propane fireplace or a wood burning fireplace, how do we manage the firewood and or the propane and making sure that that is full and that, you know, what happens if a guest blows out the pilot light, all that? Like, how do you deal with that? Uh, a couple different ways. So um, I have my cleaner check propane tanks for like grills or, you know, anything else. The um, the larger tanks that, that do like hot water and the indoor fireplaces and things like that are monitored by my propane company. And so when they get low, they it triggers them to come out and do a delivery. Oh. Yeah. So I don't even have to think about that, which is really nice. Um, and firewood would be another cleaner um, notification to me that the wood is getting low and that I need to replenish it. Okay. And both both of those are delivery services. So, oh, okay. Um, yeah. So that's pretty easy to manage then. It is. It's a little bit, I mean, if, you, if you're if you just having firewood for like the outdoor fire pit, then I usually just put that on the guest and provide them with vendors that they can go purchase firewood at. But if there's a wood stove inside the cabin, then I would have fire firewood there for them. Okay. Well, that's pretty, pretty easy to manage. I've, I'm finding over the course of these episodes, so I'm learning a lot here because I don't own in this market, that this is a pretty easy market to manage in. Yeah, 
I would say, yeah, I would say for the most part, the only difficulty I would say is in places like Ashford and in, in particular, um, there's just, it isn't the infrastructure um, that you would have in even like Cleelum um, or some of the other markets. And it's definitely not the infrastructure you would find in the Smokies where, you know, there's, uh, you know, hundreds of handymen and hundreds of cleaners. And um, so that's the challenge here is just the scarcity of the support network. But in terms of like things that you have to have in place to manage your property, it's it's pretty straightforward and simple. Okay. So that makes sense. Um, so let's talk about, this is kind of the major one when it comes to common occurrences is weather. So are there any major weather or natural disaster events that happen, not on a regular basis here, but something that is common? I'm sure hurricanes are not one in this market, but is there anything you have to watch out for? Um in all of our locations, snow is going to be a possibility and people react differently to snow. So um, some people want to go see it and that's the reason they're going there. Um, other people are snow averse and, um, you know, freak out when the first flake hits the road. So uh, snow is definitely a possibility in every every place that I sell short-term rentals. And then uh, the other one, I think, are windstorms. We have some pretty significant windstorms that come in. They're not hurricanes, um, but you know we'll get winds anywhere from forty to sixty miles per hour, a uh, couple, a few times a year. And with all the trees that are here, generally that leads to power outages. And so um, that probably is the management consideration in terms of a windstorm knocking out power, and then um, your guests not having power. So what do you do? In that instance, so if the roads typically here aren't, do you deal with a lot of steep roads? Like, do guests get trapped if they can, if it snows and the power's out and there's no heat? No, it's uh, you know they're not Smoky Mountain windy roads. Most <laughs> every market here is served by a, a main highway that's going to be plowed and maintained, and um, you know it, there there will be side roads that might be difficult to pass, um, but for the most part, you can get in and out, and then. Power-wise, a lot of properties have backup generators, particularly in their more remote places um, in order to, and those those kick on automatically if the power goes out. So oh, Okay, that's good because you don't want a guest going down there trying to mess with a generator and like yeah. carbon monoxide yes. poisoning. <laughs> Correct. So um, built-in whole house generators, um, I would recommend them probably in some of the markets, uh, particularly Ashford and Packwood, probably uh, where it might be a while before the power company gets out there to, t to get power back on. Okay. So in this instance, if you have a snowstorm or a windstorm and the power goes out, the guests can easily just get out and leave and go home and you just refund them. That's how you would manage that? Yes. Okay. Got it. So in the summertime, is this an area where there's... a where wildfires happen occasionally. I'm sure it's not anything like California, but does that happen here? It does. Um, that has been a growing problem here in the last probably 10 years. Um, and we had, you know, fortunately we haven't had any fires in populated areas of our state, but a lot in the the timbered uh, private, privately owned forests um, around the area. So we haven't seen a major, you know, event like you've seen in the Smokies with you know, houses, cabins getting burned. Um, but with the forest and with the level of dryness, it, it is a potential hazard. Okay. 
Well, I think now we're kind of getting into insurance territory. So Jeff, it's your time to shine here. So let's talk about uh, let's talk about the windstorms for a second, because I know that what can happen when you're in an area where you can have a lot of wind damage or damage to roofs due to stuff like that, that you can occasionally see you'll see higher interest rates. I mean, interest rates, insurance rates in terms of uh, the roofs, et cetera. Uh, is that the case here? Like, what do you what do you see? Is there anything insurance wise that we kind of have to watch out for or not watch out for, but know it might be a little bit higher than in other areas because of this stuff? Right. I, I think the biggest issue in, in this area, we really don't see uh, premium increases due to wind or hail or those types of events because they're not as uh, prevalent, especially like hail. Uh, not to the to the same magnitude other areas of the of the states are um, <clears throat> where where the biggest challenge is I mean if it's remote and there aren't close enough fire districts so the 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 proximity to fire resources tend to be one of the elements that'll trigger a, a higher premium um, and making sure that um, that the property is, uh, has kind of a burn barrier um, a, away from the home to help prevent anything or prevent if there is a fire from getting to the home or as close to the home as possible. Okay. Yeah, I pay, I'll go ahead. I, I pay a higher premium or I will pay a higher premium on my new build in Ashford um, because there's not a hydrant within, I think it is 500 feet, but um, there's not a hydrant probably within a mile of that property. So um, I plan to pay higher a higher premium in that community because of the lack of fire infrastructure. Okay. So that's something to pay attention to. So Jeff, will the interest, why do I keep saying interest? It's because the interest rates, like everybody's talking about it this entire year, they can't even say anything else. Insurance. So does the type of roof then matter? Because I know typically like shingle roofs are more flammable than metal roofs. Does that have any any effect on what the premium is? Um, it can have uh, an effect on premium, mainly as the roof ages. Um, a metal roof will be considered to be more stable over a longer period of time. Um, so from a replacement cost um, issue that's that's going to have an impact. So the cost to replace a building that has a metal roof is going to be more than a typical shingle. So there's kind of a trade-off there. Uh, you're going to have a higher a replacement cost value of the home, but um, as far as age of roof, um, it it ages faster with a composite compared to a metal roof. So it can have a little bit of impact, but not a tremendous impact. Okay. Are there any, I mean, do we see a lot of like when these kinds of events happens, do we happen, do we see a lot of insurance fraud with, you know, people who said, oh, I had damage from this event, but it really wasn't. It's just like their roof was getting old and it was getting to be time. Well, I mean, that's where your adjusters are getting out there to to look at that. If, if there's an, an older damage and they're trying to use this event to, to claim that, there's always going to be insurance fraud. I mean, everybody's going to try and find a way to make a buck. Um, but a good adjuster can can tell whether or not it's a recent um, event or exposure to an exposure or if it's something that they're just trying to cover up. Gotcha. Uh, before we get into the more short-term rental, you know, coverage, et cetera, that you need, let's 
keep talking about some more of like the exterior stuff and things that can happen. What would you say are some of the most common claims that you get in this area that you think are maybe more due to the area as a whole and not something that you just see everywhere? Um, I had this conversation with our uh, regional uh, claims manager just yesterday, just to kind of pick his brain a little bit. Um, and and he said one of the things that they're seeing more often than not are homes that really weren't built to handle a snow load. So snow loads and ice dams um, where uh, there's an ice buildup and because there's not proper ventilation on the home, as the ice melts, it runs into the house and damages uh, walls. Um, and and he, he finds that those are have been more common items that have caused uh, some significant damage. Homes, a lot of those are homes that are built um, a while ago where maybe the standards aren't to what they are today. So uh, he recommends that if you're building a new one, that those are things that, that really need to be watched. But I think the building codes have adjusted and changed to make sure that those those issues aren't as prevalent. But, uh, but those are things that he sees. Um, Doug alluded to the fact that we don't have a tremendous amount of um, forest fires in near the populated areas, but fires uh, tend to, to skip and hop and they're not like a tornado that just completely wipe out a <laughs> one mile wide, three mile long stretch. Um, and so um, uh, protection around your home is, is a big thing um, to help prevent maybe your home being one of the ones that does get burned. Okay. So like, uh, what are those things called? The fire gaps is not, that's not the word, but you know, not having a lot of vegetation around your house to kind of protect from, from fires. I can't remember the name of that word. I can't either. I've, I've been calling it a burn barrier. <laughs> but maybe that's what it is. Maybe that it is a burn barrier, fire gap, burn barrier. That sounds about right. That sounds You're like the word I was looking for. Clearing far enough away from your home, uh, the, the <laughs> pine needles and the dry uh, brush um, to prevent uh, as much as possible a gap between um, the fuel source uh, and the home. Okay. Um, I, there's, it's interesting from an insurance perspective, you can get a, a little bit lower premium having sprinkler systems. They may be helpful if you have an inside fire, but they're not going to do much if it's a forest fire and, <laughs> and it's blowing through and, and wiping out homes. So um, although that's something that you can have, um, especially if you're further away from a hydrant, I think Doug was mentioned he's uh, he could probably mitigate some of that premium by having a sprinkler system in his home. Gotcha. Okay, well that makes sense. Yeah, if the sprinklers are on in the house, but it's burning from the outside, that doesn't do a whole lot. <laughs> it doesn't do a whole lot. Okay, so let's get into the more like short-term rental specific coverage thing. So, do what's the difference? What kind of coverage do we need when we're buying something that's specifically going to be a short-term rental versus, you know, a traditional rental or a primary home? I, I think um, obviously, if it's a short-term rental, you want to make sure the insurance company is aware that that's the, of the purpose. Uh, sometimes people try and hide the purpose um, in hopes that they save a few dollars, and and you really hurt yourself by doing that kind of thing. Uh, the big difference really comes into the fact that you have personal property in a traditional rental home. You're not going to 
um, you're not going to cover the personal property because that personal property belongs to whoever your tenant is. Whereas in a short-term rental, you want to make sure your personal property is covered and you want to make sure it's covered at replacement cost value, um, not an actual cash or depreciated rate. So that way, if uh, you do have items that are damaged or lost um, and or adding theft coverage to that, um, you get it replaced at today's what it costs you to go out and buy it today, not what it was worth when it was originally purchased. So uh, I think those are big items. The other item to really consider is depending on the length of vacancy periods you have. So if, you're, if your property is more of a seasonal property, um, most insurance companies uh, have a problem um, covering uh, damage or vandalism or problems on the property if it's been vacant for more than 30 to 60 days. Uh, but most insurance carriers do have a vacant, um, it's a endorsement that you can add um, four properties that are going to be vacant. So that way you don't lose coverage when, if nobody's in the home for a longer period of time. Sorry, yeah, and I, <laughs> Go ahead, I, I wouldn't see any of our, any of our places where we sell as having long seasonality vacancies. So uh, I think, I think you'd probably be okay there. You okay. maybe have a slow, slow spot in February or March and maybe a slow spot in like right now. But other than that, I think you'd stay booked pretty well. Right. Yeah. So there are some optional um, items uh, to consider, like earthquake coverage. Um, uh, I mean, we have regular seismic activity in the Northwest. Nothing that's super heavy or dramatic, but it's a pretty inexpensive item. Um, I was talking about our, our claims adjuster has a cabin in Packwood in this market area. And he says, hey, it's cheap. I, you know, I pay for it. And, and he understands the, the risk level is low, but he still has it. I think part of that's from a standpoint, if we have an earthquake and my home's damaged and I don't have coverage, uh, it'll look like I got egg on my face. So <laughs> he's going to, for, for something that's pretty inexpensive to add on um, for, uh, for risk items and protect the home, or earthquake is something to consider. What about in terms of liability? Is there... A certain consideration for liability um, for short-term rentals. Um, I, liability coverage is actually one of the, the lower cost pieces of the premium, um, and I would always recommend having a, a higher liability coverage. And you can have a medical payments piece of that. Um, so, an initial medical payments. The difference is that if somebody were to trip and fall, if you have twenty-five thousand dollars of medical coverage. Uh, it's a no fault, no questions asked type of thing where uh, you'll cover the initial um, medical cost to either get somebody to a hospital, pay for stitches, cast, broken arm, that type of stuff. Having that helps helps avoid somebody then getting into the lawsuit part and, and getting into the liability. But I, I would think that you're going to want to have at least a million dollars liability coverage. Uh, part of that is you want to uh, provide a barrier between you and your personal assets and your other properties. Um, so uh, you, you can help keep that separate. 
uh, one thing to consider on top of that, especially if you have uh, multiple properties, is um, is an umbrella policy on top of it, which again is is another way to add another level of liability coverage. Um, that people are going to go after the insurance company and that liability coverage before they come after you and your home and your income. So uh, it's a it's a, a fairly inexpensive way to protect yourself. Okay, so we need a short-term rental specific policy for a short-term rental property, not a primary home, not a long-term rental. And we also need a commercial liability policy. Is that right? Um, not generally liability coverage on, on that uh, personal, on that rental property. You can extend that so you don't necessarily yeah. need to run a separate commercial general liability. Um, you just got to make sure that those pieces are included in it. Okay. Um, uh, you can get that umbrella policy over and above, which gives that added protection. Um, but a commercial general liability isn't really required. Um, but that's an optional way of covering the same. Gotcha. But I think you probably do want to go ahead and get that commercial umbrella because those are pretty cheap, right? The commercial yes. policies. Yeah. I think yeah. that's really smart. Um, is there anything else, like anything that as we're shopping insurance policies for these that we need to make sure is covered that might not be covered in every single policy? Um, I think the the big piece of those, those primary pieces, that liability coverage, actually replacement cost of the dwelling would probably be something to watch for. Um, uh, and, and some people want to not um, choose to cover at a value in consideration of what the potential replacement cost is. So let's say it's $250,000 is your replacement dwelling cost. But if there's a major event, um, in a normal build market, you might be able to replace it for that. But if you're in a, a disaster environment where everybody's now having to rebuild and replace, your labor shortage or material shortages are going to be dramatically higher. And so your actual cost is going to be significantly more than it would be if you're just doing um, a normal build. Uh, the So, on your dwelling coverage, that replacement cost coverage, most carriers have either an extended or additional coverage uh, that will allow you um, to cover the home at a higher value than what the stated replacement value is. Um, and so those are those are key pieces to look at in relation to that. Sometimes if you're not careful, uh, or if you're looking for a lower premium, you might see it show an actual cash value. You're just not going to get the home rebuilt if it burns down or has a major disaster problem if that's the coverage you have. So um, you need to make sure you're not cutting yourself short. Gotcha. So let's talk about some things that you want to make sure you don't have in your property unless you want a potential disaster to not be covered. So what are some things that people might really want to provide as an amenity or have in their house that is probably not a good idea from an insurance standpoint? Um, I, I think the more things that you have available and resources, I, I know some people might have uh, stuff like kayaks or bikes or other things that, that the residents can utilize by providing those additional items, it may create more value, but can add more risk. 
um, for liability off the property, especially if, if something goes wrong with the equipment it's, itself. Um, so, there, I mean, there's a trade-off, obviously, that you're looking for. Hey, I want to provide an experience for my, uh, for my tenants and resources for them in the market area that you're in. Um, but you have to be aware that of what the additional risks are going to be for those items. Um, so having them is great. Making sure that you're covered for them would be the key. Um, I don't know that there's, uh, again, that's going to be the owner and the trade-off in relation to what they, what they want. If you're near a beach and some of the, the kayaks, obviously not at the Cascades, but on the West coast, a lot of, a lot of, uh, uh, rentals will have those types of resources, kayaks and boats. Uh, those are things that you really got to be careful with. So if somebody takes your kayak out, and I mean, I guess there are some lakes and stuff kind of around, aren't there, Doug? Yeah. Um, oh, yeah. So if you've got a, if you provide a kayak and they go out there in the kayak and they flip it over and drown because it's way too cold to be up. Like to me, I love the Pacific Northwest, but it is way too cold to be up there. Um, and they like die of hypothermia because they didn't have anybody with them. Like what happens? Are you, can they come after you? And would you probably not be covered under insurance because you don't cover kayaks? It's not, you know, it's not a house. So what does that look like in a situation like that? Or any other, uh, if you can come up with a better, <laughs> um, uh, a better, um, example than I just did, please do. Well, if, if you're going to provide a kayak, you better provide a multitude of options for uh, flotation devices that they, uh, are required to wear while, while using the kayak. Um, and, and that, that's where providing the resources for someone to protect themselves. If you've done your due diligence, I mean, if somebody's injured or or dies, um, everyone's going to look for someone to blame. And um, that's where having a higher level of liability and an umbrella coverage really comes into place because the insurance companies then will step in and fight and, and try and mitigate uh, who's really at fault. Was the person just an idiot or... <laughs> Um, was the was the the product that was supplied um, not supplied with the appropriate safety um, materials with it? And I guess would the same thing extend to say this happens and you did provide the appropriate safety things like a life jacket or something, but there was something wrong with the the buckle and they slide out of it, and again you're still like it's it still comes back on you pretty much. <laughs> Yeah, they're still going to come after you. You're you're that first line of defense. It could be a defect with a kayak, um, but that's where the insurance company would then uh, have to subrogate against the manufacturer if if they really wanted to go that deep in it. Um, but uh, you know, I think the other thing that I would caution people at having is is trampolines. <laughs> um, I see those around. It's like, uh, I don't know that you want that uh, extra add-on. Um, larger places that that uh, attract families, um, you're going to look for having resources that's that are going to attract those families. Um, but you want to be careful at items like that that could uh, add additional risk. Yeah, trampolines are pretty risky. So I think what you're saying here is it's best to just <clears throat> direct these guests towards the nearest kayak rental place rather than provide your own. 
Correct. That would eliminate you from that liability and, and just providing for your guests those resources. Hey, if you want to do this, here's here's where you go and how you can do that. So having those lists of resources of things to do um, and where they can get those items if they want to rent bikes or mopeds or or um, kayaks, um, that's a, it's an option. It's for them to do that elsewhere as opposed to you providing that for them. I think this is really important information because there's a lot of like influencers and YouTubers out there telling people, oh, you know, X, Y, and Z are the most value adding or income adding amenities. And a lot of times they say paddle boards and kayaks. And it's important for people, I think, to understand the liability behind that rather than just running out and buying these potential dangerous things for them financially and liability wise, just because, you know, somebody said, hey, if you if you add kayaks to your place, you know, it's going to cost you a thousand bucks, but it could make you another 25,000 a year. But what they, they don't ever say, well, it's probably going to add X amount of liability as well. So I think it's smarter just to direct them on where to get those items than to have them. So really, really good information. And specific to this market, I mean, you can go a long way with that. You could provide snowmobiles, you could provide, you know, ATVs, you could provide, um, because a lot of our markets cater to those sorts of things. Um, you know, similar to maybe a golf, a golf cart on the, golf on the Florida, cart, yeah. Florida, Florida coast, right? Like, um, it's much better to have people rent those from somebody else than provide them yourself. I, I totally agree. Just shift that liability elsewhere. <laughs> Let it be someone else's liability. Um, okay guys. So is there anything that we haven't touched on that you think our listeners would benefit from hearing about in terms of common occurrences in this market that they're going to need to know how to manage, when they pop up? No, I think we've pretty much hit. I mean, a lot of a lot of people in this market ask about the volcano, um, <laughs> the, the giant volcano that's in our backyard. Um, yeah. And, uh, you know, I get a lot of questions about, you know, is it going to erupt and what happens if it does? And um, I don't know if there's any insurance way to, like, to prepare for that, but. Um, nope. <laughs> yeah. And no. it, it it did happen in 1980 in you know Mount St. Helens, but uh, Mount, Mount Rainier has been dormant for a long time and not saying that it couldn't happen, but just kind of one of those things you live with. Um, it's there. It's beautiful. I imagine it wouldn't be so beautiful if it erupted. So volcano insurance, is that a thing? Yeah. It is not. A, it is not a thing. <laughs> the uh, so the one other item that we didn't touch on and you find um, in this market area that most of the homes are in septic system as opposed to sewer is mm-hmm. uh, most carriers have a, um, a backup or sump pump coverage. Um, and that's always smart to have because you get people in these uh, in these properties that aren't used to uh, living with a septic system compared to a sewer and end up putting stuff down um, and down the drain that could clog up your, your septic, uh, which could then back up into your property and having some coverage to help protect that and or cover the repairs would be important. Yes. Also very important. Um, Good call out. Anything else? Nope. I think we got it. All right. Well, guys, if you are ready to go buy a property with Doug and the Cascades, you can do that by emailing us at agents at the short term shop.com and we will get him connected with you. 
Or if you just want to hang out, learn some more about short-term rentals, there's a few ways you can do that. The first way is to join our Facebook group. Same title as my book behind me. It's called Short-Term Rental, Long-Term Wealth. So just throw that in the search in Facebook and you'll find us. Or we have a live Q&A call every Thursday that you can join. Ask us any questions you want about short-term rental investing. And you can sign up for that at strquestions.com. Thanks, guys. We'll catch you on the next one.